0: and I have to admit I, I miss actually being here speaking and I I think you know in order for me not to snap like what we just observed uh, here in the video that I, I should pray and uh, get our head straight so as we go forward let's do this Heavenly Father we acknowledge that you hold this church firmly in the palm of your hand my prayer is that you would help us to be patient when we're bombarded by messages all day long that tell us you know what we need to have when we want it and yet we serve you, and you do things in your time. Father, we, I, I, I think of empty chairs around us. And I think of the many friends and relatives who don't know Jesus. And uh, we passionately desire to see them become disciples of Jesus, and we earnestly pray for their salvation this morning. So help us to be faithful to the mission that you have given us. And, and now, as we open your word and we study and examine Uh, uh, overwhelmingly, at times, disturbing truths. Please guide us and take anything out of my mouth, my brain, my heart that shouldn't be said and clean me out that I might accurately, faithfully proclaim what you have laid on our hearts. In your name, amen. You saw on the weekly, if you're visiting, it's great to have you here. My name is Jerry and uh, uh, we have what is called Engage. So if you're visiting, you're thinking about making this your home uh, we have a lunch for you. You just need to sign up on the welcome table on your way out, and uh, uh, we have a record of you to join us for lunch. You'll meet some staff members just to hear a little bit about who we are. But for everybody else as well, uh, you'll be hearing about our growth tracks, which is really uh, four weeks, four four evenings where you come and we pour into you. Uh, it's free; you don't pay anything for them, but it helps you understand who we are as a church. Uh, we explain uh, the, our governance, we explain our finances, the, we explain all the questions that many people have, uh, able to answer them, and we pour some, give you some tools and uh, guide you through this whole process and so you're gonna see advertisements for our growth tracks coming up I want to encourage you our goal is to actually have everybody in Seoul go through these so that you understand uh, who we are and what we're about and where we're going and that you know when you're talking to people exactly what we represent and and everything that comes together with that so we also have your uh, Syrian refugee family you notice that on Valentine's Day we're gonna do a a uh, fundraiser here with a live band, a dinner and a dance. We're going to be advertising to the community. We want to encourage you to invite your friends, invite your family members. Uh, This is a fundraiser to uh, uh, help uh, get these people here. Uh, Our committees already have made mention and have been communicating with them and they are so excited to be coming to Canada. I can hardly wait to meet them. So, uh, Do your part. Invite people out. If you know people who have a heart for what's going on across our world, tell them to come and be a part of this fundraiser. I'd love to see this place filled. And uh, it's promising to be a great time. So today, our focus over the next four weeks is uh, fitting God into your world. Think about that. You know, what does God want for us? What does God want of us? What does God want from us? And uh, so I began to think this through, began to look at it, and I, I read that first part of the question, and, and what is it? God? And that's actually, I have to be totally honest with you, that's where I got hung up. God, G-O-D. Who is or, or what is God? You know, what kind of name is God. You know what about the name Jesus or the Holy Spirit? You know there, there's other names in, in the Scripture like Elohim or Hashem or Adonai or El Shaddai, and you hear El Shaddai. Those who grew up a child of the '80s, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El El Yonoh, I don't know. Like, okay, sorry, Amy Grant, I, I'll get that out of here. And then there's Yahweh or Jehovah, and then other names of God is, you know, Jehovah uh, Nisi, Jehovah Rafi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Okay, you guys know that too. Some of you think I need therapy, but it's okay. We're all, we're all here. I can go on, but I won't you know, for your better good. But one of the most famous verses in the Bible is John 3:16, And we see it at most major sporting events all the time, usually written on a sign held by a guy with rainbow hair, and now he's been seen wearing a shirt. But it's, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God. God. What does God want for us? God. Like the word God in English, let me help you out here, is G-O-D. I didn't know if you knew that. That's the English word for God. And if you were reading the word in the Greek, it would not be G-O-D. In the Greek, rather, it reads what we would say uh, T-H-E-O-S. Theos. And that's actually a generic proper noun used in the Greek language to denote God with a capital G or gods, small g. You know, you take the English word God and you look it up in the dictionary. Here's actually the, the explanation. It says, any various beings conceived of as supernatural, immortal, and having special powers over the lives and the affairs of people and the course of nature. I think about these crazy shows my kids watch on TV about superheroes. You know, how does God feel with that definition? So here's how my mind work is, that God's name, God, is that his name or, or one of various beings conceived of a supernatural or immortal, like God. What about you? How do you prefer to be called? Do you prefer to be called by your title? Do you have a bunch of friends that when you gather together, they look at you and say, hey, fellow taxpayers, shall we go for lunch? You know, or like in my case, my spouse, you know, I really enjoyed the nice romantic dinner we had together, pastor. Other times she says, Reverend Doctor, please take out the garbage. (laughs) Maybe you find yourself in your household having conversations, you say, sibling, fill in the blank. You know, chances are you're not always referred to by your title, rather uh, the people who know you more intimately actually know your name. Yet addressing somebody by title is also a sign of respect, which I think our society has lost. Like pastor, or doctor, or mister, or missus, or auntie, or uncle. You know, I have people who call me mister, I have, you know, Mr. Michalski, I have people, pastor, I have people call me doctor. I have people on Xbox who call me a whole lot of other things but I do have friends believe it or not and my friends actually call me Jerry and some people who are closer to me especially when they are angry with me they call me Gerald that's usually my mom and so generally we all have some sort of people or intimate associates who call us by name and it it could be a little cutesy cuddly name too right but it's a name that is actually specific to us and that your title, whether it's teacher, taxpayer, doctor, reverend, pastor, are generally used by people with whom you are less intimate with. You know, Joan Osborne, 90s, wrote a song, What If God Was One of Us? And, 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 and it was beautiful in that, the concept that she asked the question, you know, if God had a name, what would it be and Would you call it to his face? Great concept, great question. Would you call it to his face? So the question remains, is that... God's name. God, is that his name? Or is it his title? Or does God have an intimate personal name, if you think about it, that, that those people who are closest to him use? And I'll just say this, that there may be areas this morning that you may find unsettling. And for me, this forces me to sort of rethink all sorts of things and... Uh, This life lesson may not end with a nice little bow for you today, and that's okay. You may walk out of here with more questions than when you walked in, and you know what? That's okay. I want you to embrace that. So I want to ask the question, does God have a name other than his title, God? And so if you've got your Bibles or your phones, turn to Exodus 3, and, and the concept is that God had told Moses that he wants him to lead his people. He appears to him, they have this conversation, and this religious climate that's going on in Egypt was that there were many, many, many gods And the God of the harvest, there was God of fertility, there was the God of the soil, there was the God of the river, and so on. And if you wanted to have more children, you would appeal to the God of fertility. If you wanted a bigger harvest, you may go to the God of rain or the God of soil. And there were all these different gods, and people knew the names of all these different gods. And they would manipulate, or they would call that god that they needed on to respond to them. It was almost like a plethora of little vending machines. So if you needed peace or security or financial success for whatever you would do, you would call on that God and do your offerings, do your services to that God in particular, and you would know their name and what they should deliver for you. And if you think about it, and as you study the scriptures, we see that, of course, God appears to Moses, and Moses himself was trained in Pharaoh's household, and he had been trained in verse to know all the names of all the gods, and for what each God would do for you, if you and which God to go to when you needed to use a specific God for a specific purpose. Moses was well-versed in all that. And you would use different gods depending on your situation and need. But in Exodus, what we see is that the Almighty Creator reveals himself to Moses. And he says, I want you to lead my people. And Moses responds now in verse 13 with a most practical question. And I love it. He says, uh, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your forefathers has sent me to you. And suppose they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? And I think you need to look at Moses' question because, uh, you know, operating in the cu- uh, uh, culture of his day, every God operates according to their name. And so, you know, he's saying, Look, at, I got to go back to these people and give them their names so that they know who you are. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, that phrase in Hebrew looks like this. Next slide. Ayah hasher ayah. Of course, you read it from right to left. <laughs> ayah, hasher, ayah. So Moses asked God, "What is your name?" And the response is, "Ayah, hasher, ayah." And in Hebrew, in the language here, what we have before you, the thrust of of what is being said is, "I exist." That He is timeless. That He is eternal. Do you understand how offensive that this is to an entire Egyptian religious system? Oh, probably not, so I'll explain it to you. It's like God saying, contrary to what you believe, the difference between me and all those other gods is that I totally exist. And so what we see here in the passage of scripture is that he is slamming the entire religious, uh, Egyptian religious system. And God gives how he refers to himself, you know, by by basically, you know, my name, my name, my, well, actually, M is my name. And then he says how he wants to be called, and as you read on, we see it gets deeper, and God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord... The God of your far, uh, fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now we translate that word, the Lord, in your scriptures is Elohim, which is the creator, the judge of the universe. And the word translated, sorry, God is Elohim, the creator, judge of the universe. And the word the Lord is an English approximation or it's sort of like a substitute. So this is my, my teaching coming towards you to which some of your minds are melting and that's okay, just work with me here. And the actual name that God gives Moses really comes down to four letters. And we translate that as YHVH in the English. So when you read the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. It's all consonants. And so when you take a look at that in, in the Hebrew, generally what we have come up with, scholars have come up with, is we pronounce it Yahweh. So Moses says, tell me your name. And God says, tell them Yahweh is sending you. And it's, it's crazy because scholars have done endless studies. And, and there's this general belief that the, the YHVH comes from the word to be. But they don't ultimately know where Yahweh comes from. There's about 20 different schools of thought when you start doing your history or your research about where the name actually has its roots. But the name, when it comes right down to it, is unknown. And, and Moses says, what is your name? And God says, Yahweh. And, and God doesn't explain himself. The beauty is he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't, you know, use a nice little cute name like, you know, George. He just says, Y-H-V-H. And notice what God goes on and begins to say about his own name. He says in Exodus 3, he says, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now, here's some theology coming down the pipe for you. The name, you know, uh, why VH is called the Tetragrammatron. Say that real fast. And if you want to begin to start tracing this whole concept through the whole Bible, this name occurs actually 6,823 times. So the fact of the matter is God's name is a big deal to him. And it's a name that nobody can quite figure out where it comes from. And so he says to Moses, this is the name I want to be called from generation to generation forever. You look into Isaiah chapter forty two, there's a couple insights into God's name as a big deal. When you start discovering the scriptures in light of, of Yahweh to discover all sorts of truths, and Isaiah says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, that is my name, I am Yahweh, that is my name. And then he goes, I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. The Lord know this is an English approximation or a transliteration for Yahweh so when you're reading your, your Bible and you see it popping up that's just the way it is he says I am Yahweh I am the Lord that is my name I will not give it out and so in Moses' world there's all these false gods all over the place and Yahweh says I exist he doesn't even acknowledge that there is any other gods uh, he says that he is all there is this is beautiful And if you notice the language that he uses when he first introduces himself in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, does God try to uh, prove his existence? He just says he is. He doesn't list any cosmological or teleological or causative argument based on logical reasoning. You like those words? He doesn't do any of that. He just says, this is the beauty of Scripture. I am God. There is... Only me, I created everything. Psalm 135, God doesn't defend himself or prove his existence. He doesn't, you know, or, or, or he doesn't even try to fit himself into somebody's intellectual comprehension. He doesn't try to apologize, he just is. And he reveals himself as a God who simply is and does. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth and on the seas and all their depths. He alone is Yahweh. He won't share any of His glory. This is who God is. He won't give praise to any other idols. He created everything. He doesn't bother with trying to prove His existence or explain how He brought everything into creation. And then He says He does whatever He wants. Now here's an interesting historical fact. In 1795, there was a dispute between the British Empire and the Burmese. And what the British Empire did is that they sent a delegate of, of Brits to Burma to try to uh, um, smooth things over. But for the most part, the... the the Burmese that were living in Rangoon at the time didn't really appreciate these new arrivals and they looked down on them with suspicion. And the purpose of the diplomats were to go from place to place to make things better. And uh, they eventually went to a remote hill tribe village where it was the Karen tribe was, was found there. They lived there. And it was interesting. They were kind of puzzled at the time because they received better treatment from the Karen tribe than they did from anybody else. And they couldn't figure this out. And there was a Karen woman who could speak Burmese and uh, on behalf of the tribe she said to the diplomats, this is the most interesting, these tribesmen think that you may be, again she's speaking to the diplomats, you may be a certain white brother whom they as people have been expecting from time immemorial. Well, of course, one of the diplomats there, and as the story says, asked them what this white brother was supposed to do when he arrives. And this lady, she replied, he's supposed to bring them a book just like their forefathers lost long, long ago. And they're asking, have you brought it? Of course, the diplomat at the time scoffed. And, you know, who's the author of the book? And, and who has the power to charm, you know, these illiterate folk the guide went on and explained that that the author of the book that they're looking for is Yahweh, the supreme God now in the Hill tribe villages the idea of spirits and their impact on people and nature influences all aspects of the villagers life that was, that was normal and yet in the Karen folklore we find that the concept of the one true God is central the story of the lost book was passed from generation to generation and they waited centuries for this white brother to arrive. It's crazy. The Karen villages had a teacher who would represent Yawah. And not the evil spirits and not the demons. And so they had a person that was reserved just for that. And the prophets actually taught their people hymns which preserved this concept of the, they're out there. Out there there's this one true God. And that kept the Karens from lapsing into uh, the adultery of uh, Buddhism. Like many of the other people in the nation around them. And some say that there were hymns to this Yawa this eternal being that was created by the Karen tribe. Others had songs about the creator, and still others would have this concept of this omnipotent God. And so with all this spiritual awareness among them, they kept waiting. They kept waiting this prophecy for a white brother to arrive. And what we find in 1817, an American Baptist missionary by Adrian Judson came to Burma. The white brother showed up with the book. And Christianity spread very quickly throughout the Karen tribe. And the Karen tribe insisted that their creator God's name was Yahweh. And God says to Moses, my name is Yahweh. And that is to be my name forever. And God's name is a big deal to him. In the New Testament, in the Greek language, Acts 2 uses a language sort of straightforward. We kind of, when we read it, we just overglance it until you actually realize what the actual words are. Again, in context, we have to remember that Peter, he's preaching to Jews, but it's being written back in Greek to us. And, and it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you may have a little notation in your Bible there that tells you that he's, he's quoting from Joel. Joel chapter 2 and it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So what happens is that it's preaching and he's saying to these Je- uh, Jewish people that you all know, and because they do, you all know that God promised that when you call on the name of the Lord you will be saved. And he, and he goes on and he begins to talk about that plan of salvation which is Jesus. And we see that in Joel, the Lord in the Old Testament was Yahweh. So everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. So what does all this have to do with today's life lesson? Well, we have to ask ourselves, how do we fit God into our world? I struggle with that question. And I think once we come to some sort of conclusion to that question we have to ask ourselves what does God want for us what does God want of us and what does God want from us so who's God to you really you know you start dealing with that first major word God and it says in our Bible like I said in John 3 16 God so loved the world and that word God there is obviously in the Greek out of the Greek New Testament the word theos this generic title, this, this noun given to describe any being who rules or has a sway over things. So, so Theos, Theos so loved the world, is how we'd read it. What happened was basically Greek writers are kind of looking around for a word because they wanted their Greek audience really to understand who this God was because they were worried that the name... Yahweh because you have the Hebrew roots wouldn't click with them so they looked around at all the gods of Greek mythology and 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 the writer thought that maybe they could take that word God you know g small g lowercase g-o-d and make it capital g and call it the God the one true God and the Greek audience would understand then who we're talking about the one true God God, and what developed was this word theos, and this word theos is the word where we get our word theology from, the study of God. Now, for me, I have a number of theological textbooks in my office, and, you know, you could study systematically systematic theology to your heart's content if you want, if you've got no real life, but feel free, you know, I'll give you that access, but... You know, I look at my theology textbooks and, and, and they list and they expand various things and attributes and everything about God and the Bible and the Holy Spirit and many other things. And, you know, do you understand, though, that you can know everything that my theology books are saying to you and still not know God? Isn't that interesting? You know, I studied at a theological seminary. I also realized that, that people can go and study, that they can go and get A's, and they still don't know Yahweh. You know, we have a statement of beliefs here at Soul Sanctuary and, and as we see how God has revealed himself in the scriptures and we work real hard at the language to get the words right about God. We, we, and the fact of the matter is, all of us, we could actually quote all the statements of faith and you know what, we could still not know God. So in one respect, you could say that, you know, there's, there's a danger to studying theology, but... But theology is good. It's good to study God. It's good to study these words and to wrestle with them. But ultimately you could have a theology and still not know Yahweh in a personal sort of way. Can you imagine with me? Just go with with your imagination. This is really hard to to concept. But can you imagine what would happen if one group of Christians had a statement of faith and their thoughts and their beliefs on God? was written there. And and then there was this other group of Christians just down the street and they had their thoughts and beliefs on God and what if in some of the wording they didn't see exactly eye to eye? Wow. And what if group A decided they want to debate group B and and group B says well you don't have the right one and they get into this endless discussion, you know, uh, uh, and then what if group A then decided that they were right and the other was wrong? That's the danger of theology. That's why I don't argue theology in that sense. God explained and expressed himself as Yahweh. The invitation is to say, come and know me and walk with me and follow my teachings. And Yahweh reveals himself with Moses, this incredible creator the almighty creator and judge now becomes this per who's also the personal creator of the universe wants to know you and and, then the crazy thing in our society is the problem is that people get sidetracked in studying about him and they fail to recognize that god cannot fit inside your particular brain praise jesus And what happens is that people begin to create these little boxes uh, about their opinions of God. And theology is not about our opinions of God. Theology is about what actually God is thinking about things. But imagine your favorite painting. Let me put it this way. This is your favorite painting. And now maybe your favorite painting has been in your house for, for the last few years. Maybe it's at a museum. I don't know. But what if the artist, when finished this painting, put their brushes down? Wrote a letter, sent out a message to all the other artists in the world and said to them, stop, relax, I've painted the painting. The painting. I have achieved the beauty of texture, color, contrast, concept. I have painted the thing. And I've reached the zenith for painting. Of course, you're sitting back going, you know, that's utterly absurd. And if you're sitting here and you're an artist, you'd understand that you are on a lifelong quest, right? <coughs> you're on a lifelong quest to paint or discover what is beautiful. And then if you feel that you have an adequate grasp of your painting, then you naturally know it's time to move on, what, to the next one, because they're never done. Because you understand as an artist that in painting, it's an endless quest to paint the best painting in that that. that No one has ever arrived. Think about this. Wouldn't it be frightening that somebody had a theology that said, ah, now we're done. We have the best words to describe God, so why study God anymore? If someone came right to the point and they said, well, that's our statement, that's our faith, and our faith is right. But we're done. Now now hear me out. We here at Seoul, we believe passionately, we believe that you can know truth. We believe that you can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, that you can become a disciple of Jesus, that you can walk with him and talk with him. But what if a group began to view God not as Yahweh, but, you know, a a God to be discovered, a God to be pursued, but rather began to think that they cornered the market on God. It's kinda like this, let's go to the music industry. What if the music industry stopped recording music on eight tracks? That was it. That no more music should be recorded anymore, eight tracks, that's it. Now if you're in high school or junior high, you have really no idea what I'm talking about. Basically if you're under 30, you almost have no idea what I'm talking about. But maybe it's not so much that they just made eight tracks, what if they only made one eight track? And the industry just sent out a little message to all the other songwriters and all the other musicians and they said to them, look it, there's no need for you guys to write anymore. There's no need for you to record any new songs because we recorded the ultimate eight track. Music can go nowhere from here. Of course, at this point, everybody under 35 begins to panic. Ah, my parents' music stuck with eternity. No. That'd be frightening for people, Right? But wouldn't it also be frightening if we did that with God, where people got to the point where they lost their sense of discovery, their sense of pursuit, their sense of wonder that Yahweh desires from us. So maybe when you read that that title in your weekly or on the wall, when you walked in, fitting God into your world, maybe you said, you know, uh, I know God, you know, I'm good. I got got it all figured out, Jerry. Don't, Don't worry, I got it all figured out. Well, may I present to you then that maybe, just maybe, you just pretty much got yourself a theological eight track. Yeah, maybe you're like me and you've heard people say, you know, I went to Bible college. Well, I went to Christian school. I'll pray for you. I was homeschooled. I went to youth group. I know all these stories, really, really. So, so help me, you know, like you and Yahweh. Like you guys got it, both of you got it all figured out. I went to university. I studied theology. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I heard it all. Oh, oh, good, good. I'm glad. So, so Yahweh according to scripture, who refuses to share his glory with any other, whose ways are higher than your ways, whose thoughts are beyond our thoughts. Yahweh, who reveals himself in a four-letter name that nobody really knows where it comes from. You understand him. And you're done pursuing him because you got him all figured out. Do you see the danger there? And, and it's not so much about us fitting God into our world as it is understanding where do we fit into His since He is the Almighty Creator. Listen, it's good. It's good to study God, because we begin to realize that there's so much that we don't really know, but the danger is that people get to the point where there's no sense of discovery, there's no excitement, there's no pursuit, there's no enlightenment, we don't get excited about the discoveries that come across us in scripture, and we have no sense of how we can know more about God who created me, and who wants to know me more, and we lose it all. author Mary Bly wrote an article in numerous books, she goes, uh, describes how she goes to a synagogue discovering a level of devotion to God and the scriptures that actually invigorates her own faith. And she turned around and she wrote in an article, she said, God was fully alive to these people unhindered by a book that I once pulled to bits in theological debates. The laws are cherished by even the most modern religious Jews but there is still sense of happy exploration, a sense that the book is still open. And I am fascinated by this, that one cannot go deep enough in their way of thinking because God is unfathomable. He, The book that reveals him steeped eternally into mystery, but one must plunge in and grapple with the darkness, crack open and peer intently when there is a bit of light. And this is a wonderful way to live the life of faith, allowing the questions which is consistently to, Possessed to grow more vast, more wondrous, and to regard the answers with humble insecurity. And the fact of the matter is is that the more questions we begin to ask, the more you realize just how deep and mysterious and unfathomable God is. And that there is a peace and a joy that comes from realizing that you'll never figure out God, but that you can know Him. You notice a character from the Old Testament, Job. Job's life is a train wreck at one point goes from great to bad and everything is taken away from him and he loses his children he loses his finances his physical possessions his health and he's ripped to shred and Job you know but Job follows and shows us the idea of God as Yahweh Notice what happens when he hears that his sons and daughters have died. Everything falls apart in his life. And, and it says this in Job 1, At this Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground in worship. I don't know if you understand actually how profound this is. You know, maybe Job doesn't get it. I don't know. Or, or maybe he does. And God just allowed the entire world to collapse and his his response is not, Hey God, I don't get it. I'm not going to speak to you now because you don't fit into my particular little box. No, no. His his response is, I don't get it. I don't understand it. God, it hurts. God, your ways are inscrutable. Your ways are unfathomable and mysterious. But God, I don't know what's going on. And his response is, is that he worships and he falls down on the ground and worships the one and true God Yahweh but I worship you see our problem in nice neat and tidy consumeristic Canada and Christian culture is that we want God you know uh, when you want him to fit into our world we want God to move in our way and in ways that you and I Understand in the ways that we are pleased with because that's what we ask God to do, right? And, and then when that happens, then we come and we worship God and God says, hey, I am Yahweh. You worship me whether you get it or you don't. And I think this is a, actually a massive shift of thinking. We see what a God people have made of their intellects. You know, do, do you see how people end up worshiping their brain because they only end up following God when, when things make sense? But God reveals himself as a God that you may never figure out, but you can know him, and you can know him intimately. You think about it, even, even if you search and ponder and study God forever, you'll never get to the bottom of His bigness and vastness and worth and His wealth. And so you'll see how often we've been influenced by the Greek thinking that says God is a subject that you can study, and God uh, is a subject that you can study, you can know, you can understand, you can figure Him out. And then when we read how God reveals Himself as Yahweh, it becomes mind-blowing. You know, many people have been taught that the Bible is so simple that even a child can understand it. For God so loved the world is an offering that a child can receive on one hand and it's a concept that can and will be explored and examined into eternity. It's a huge verse. You want to know what's so brilliant here about God? It's that the basic elements of the gospel Anybody can understand. The smallest child can say yes to Jesus and grasp the fact that God loves them and yet one can ponder God so loved the world for the rest of eternity and you'll never get to the bottom of it. One more final thought. Go to the New Testament. Let's look back at Christmas. Let me read the story of Matthew all over again. In Matthew, all over again. Matthew chapter 1 this is how the birth of Jesus came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly but after he considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said Joseph I'm here don't be afraid Take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. <coughs> I like how the story ended. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And then gave him the name. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. (coughs) Again, we go to the language. The language of the angel uses in verse 21. The name Jesus in the Greek is Jesus. What is fascinating is that when you begin to study the origins of Jesus' name, scholars believe that Jesus was never called by the name Jesus. And the angel did not verbally say to Joseph, Jesus. Jesus is that Greek-English approximation of what the angel would have said, so If we were actually there to fly on the approval wall in the dream, if I can put it that way. And we were overhearing this conversation between the angel and Joseph. The angel who was talking to, hear me carefully, a Jewish teenager. In the language that he spoke and understood, he would have heard possibly the word Yeshua. Which is the Hebrew name where we get the English name, Jesus. Now Yeshua, remember we studied God's name Yahweh, right? So Yeshua in English is Joshua. So if your name is Joshua, the Hebrew rendition is Yeshua. And it contains actually two theological uh, themes. The Yah uh, comes from Yahweh, the one true God. And the Shua means in Hebrew, saves. God saves. So the angel says to Joseph, call this baby Yeshua. God saves. So if you're Joseph and you're a good God-fearing Torah-observing Jew and you've fallen and worshipped Yahweh all of your days and the angel comes up and says, your girl's pregnant and she's pregnant with Yahshua, do you realize what that would mean? Probably not. But if we were Joseph, we would realize that God who created the universe is going to join us as a human being, Yah. and that this name is used 6,823 times in the scriptures and this omnipotent creator God who loves us so much that he is going to become one of us to save us. (coughs) And so when you think about it, that is who we are to worship when we gather together on a day like today. (coughs) So, I want to conclude with this thought. And if Jeremy and team can get ready. And if our prayer team can get ready. Here's a question. Like I said, I might leave you with more questions unanswered than answered as you leave here. But is there any area in your life where you have not worshiped or allowed God because he didn't fit into your particular intellectual comprehension? Do you hear what I'm asking? Is there any area in your life where you have not worshiped God because He didn't do what you wanted Him to do? Is there any area in our lives where we have taken pride in knowing about God, but we have missed the simple truth that God wants to know us intimately and personally? What is God? is where I got hung up on this series. So next week, we're, we're, looking at the, we're actually gonna look at the question of what does God want for us? And we have Michael and Esther Schultz sharing their personal story. If you know of Mike and Esther, then you may wanna bring your Kleenex. But if you don't know who this couple is in our community I want to encourage you to go to emmyschultzblogspot.ca and I want you to read up before you show up. Because it's so easy to give the the story of all the good times where God's working in the good times. But what about people who are walking through some tough times? And then asking the crazy question. Some people think I'm nuts but what does God want for us? And let These people tell their story. You want to bring a friend? Read the blog, bring a friend. Bring two, bring three. But it comes now back to you before we go anywhere. What does God want for you? And I. Again, to start off this whole new year, are you fitting him into your world, or do you understand your part in his? Is really my question, because I think that we have this tendency to make God try to fit in our box. Why don't you stand with me? Every gathering we come together, we make the opportunity that people go for prayer. So maybe you feel that. Uh, don't have a fire going on there, do we? <laughs> okay. Maybe you feel that uh, you have uh, some sort of prayer requests of, of whatever. So we did our week of prayer this week. It was amazing. I think the, 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 the most impacting time for me, I think everybody had their own night was, was much touching. But for me was our Thursday night where we were praying for healing and we had all these sick people praying for sick people. <laughs> it was great. We even had a FaceTime Conversation somebody's in a hospital and they FaceTimed in, and we were praying for them. They actually watched the entire gathering via FaceTime. But here we are. We're, we're a community that believes that God can step in and do miracles, a community believes that God can step in and do wondrous things, but a community also believes that God is. And it's His will. And all He asks is for us to have. This intimate, this personal connection. And so today, if you have a prayer request, if you have a need, if you have, a, uh, if you just need people to support you, if you need just to even talk, maybe, maybe I've said something that's just got set something off in you. You want to talk to one of our, our prayer team members here. They are there for you to talk to. And so I've asked Jeremy to to lead us in a song. It's an invitation to allow the Spirit just to move in us, and I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you just to open yourself up to Him, and uh, as we sing these words, may they be your prayer. Uh, May you invite when it says, Holy Spirit, come fill this place. This place is not this building. This place is you and I. That's this place. Jeremy, lead us. And if you need to go step out and our team is willing and waiting to pray with you.
1: So on me. Come wake me from my sleep. Blow through the caverns of my soul. pour oh, me to overflow. To open
0: Thought that you would give your life your body your blood for me is more than what I can comprehend and actually understand I do believe that we want to live lives that reflect the love of relationship that we do have with you so please forgive us when we think that we're impressing you with our duty or our knowledge our smugness or even when we simply refuse to believe May our desire be that, that we, our, our obedience will flow from our love. And we, I do believe we want to be obedient. We want to serve uh, what we We, we want to pray for all the right reasons that come from knowing you that the price has been paid. And so I ask that, God, you would help us not figure out where you fit in our box, but help us understand where we fit in your world. And I ask for those who maybe don't know you, Jesus, that you would show them a love relationship that is so much more than what we can, that they can think it is. And thank you for paying the price that we may have a kind of intimate relationship with you. So melt the hearts of those who may not have accepted the cuff that you're offering, that they would experience that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, reveal yourself to us open our minds to your word. May we have a hunger and a thirst for you. And in that, may we turn that around and be your ambassadors to the people that you have placed us in. And all God's children said, amen. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise soul sanctuary. Yeah, go out into the world in peace. Have courage this week. Hold on to what is good. Return no evil for evil. But encourage and support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor everyone. Love and serve the Lord and rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may his presence be upon you. Be blessed and we'll see you next week. Amen.
1: Spirit, come and fear is plain. That's your glory.